for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Been very privileged, and uh, we, am I on? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, been very privileged to um, have a, a, have a break. Sue and I, we went away for a couple of weeks, and um, normally we either go cycling and uh, wear ourselves out, and very sort of you, you get the the, the, the buzz by having achieved something. Um, but the, the last couple of years, we just like to veg out. <laughs> I think we're still recovering. But this this year, we, something happened differently with us in that we we. Um, Actually, I thought very intentionally, what books do I take away to read? Um, but this, this year, we, we spent virtually every morning, didn't we? He said, let's just give our mornings over to the Lord and to study. And, uh, and that's what we did. We, we stayed in the same area. Um, Sue read one Christian book and I read another. And, and we just would interact. Oh, I've just discovered this bit. And it really fed us spirits in a new and deep way. Um, it was just so good to carve out a, a significant part of our holiday time feeding and, and, and uh, resting our souls and nourishing our souls. It was recreation, recreation. And uh, perhaps we discovered a bit late in life, really, but, I, you know, <laughs> we're slow learners. But we, had a, we came away thinking the highlight of our holiday Apart from the lovely tapas and the good red wine, it was just re- carving mornings out just to be with Jesus. All mornings, just reading. And it wasn't a chore, it was just a delight. Two books that I, 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 I asked the Lord, what do I take away? And uh, I came across these two books, um, <laughs> great for holiday, Leadership Pain. <laughs> and it's... Uh, <laughs> Sue, Sue grabbed hold of it and um, well, I couldn't get it back. Um, uh, uh, but it's uh, anybody in leadership, whether you're in education, church leadership, business, an excellent book. And um, actually, truly, truly excellent. And the second one, uh, very different, it's called Waters from a Deep Well. And it's a, it's a Christian spirituality from the early martyrs right through to modern missionaries. And I'll be quoting from that later on. But again, really, really interesting. It's not something that I would normally read, um, but uh, just to look at other traditions, Christian traditions, and, and see the, um, what God's doing and speaking to the wider church through what he's done through the centuries. Okay. Um, now, next week we start on our, our series prop on Philippians. Um, we felt today it would just be good to have, um, given today to um, what we'll call looking back and looking forward. And any staff member at the church will know what that means. We call it buff, looking back, looking forward, where um, we didn't want to have annual reviews as such because it seems a bit businessy. But we did want to have within our own staff system opportunities, extend opportunities for all the staff to um, have sessions where we look through to individually what's happened in our lives the last year, um, how we're doing spiritually, what we're reading, how's our prayer life, not in a legalistic way, but just to have some degree of accountability and discipline. And we've, we've all gone through that. And it's been incredibly important because we've, um, we look at our relationships and what God's speaking to us about. And it's a healthy process. We've gone through it as staff members. Uh, and the net result is that we will be doing some things differently to aid greater fruitfulness in, in the future. And uh, we thought, actually, it would be good today for us, uh, for myself, to just take you through, refer to some of the 
um, might be obliquely, but to just to look back as we look forward as a church family. We do want to avoid church functional relationships. We do want to avoid that. We are not a business, okay? We are a church family. And even in, amongst the paid staff, we want to avoid functional relationships. Do you know, there are, we found out this week, there are 5,100 bees in the Bible. Not the buzzy bees, but bee. Be still, okay? And, or bees, just I'll think of being. We're human beings, aren't we? Um, and there's only 1,500 do's. And so often in church life and Christian life, you can end up, uh, whatever it's Christian or not, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. But there's a greater emphasis on B. When God walked in that first Garden of Eden, he didn't create man and woman to be gardeners and to look after their garden. He, he created them to have relationship with them. He walked in the cool of the evening to chat with them. And that should, that's the invitation that God gives to you, the sort of relationship you can have with God where you come into a, rela- a living relationship with God. When I was waiting on, on um, God to what to speak about this week, I just had six, six words. It was quite unusual. It just came down just like that. And so um, I won't just be unpacking one scripture, but I should be just going through a number of things which relate to looking back and looking forward. The first word that I believe God put on my, uh, into my mind was the word promises. Now, we are people of promises, we are the people of the promise. God promised certain things through, through time, through scripture, through Jesus Christ. And we are here because God promised and kept his promise, true or false. So we are, you can look around now and say, hey, we're the people of the promise. God gave them a promised land in the Old Testament, ancient Canaan, which became Israel. They got it because God had promised And one of the great discoveries you find when you give your life to Jesus Christ is that God keeps his promises. It says in the Bible, God is not a man that he should lie. He cannot lie. So what God has promised, you know that he will fulfil. He is faithful, faithful, faithful. And Our own children, when, um, when I was learning as a father to keep my promises, they would say, Dad... Promise this one. <laughs> You've got to, are you going to promise this one? Or you might do it or you will do it. No, I want you to promise. And it occurred to me afresh this week that uh, as individuals, whether in, wherever you are in your working week, be people who keep promises. And that will please the Father. Actually, pleases the Holy Spirit. And as we are a people who keep our promises to the one who promises to us. The Holy Spirit likes it. So dad, mums, if you say you're going to do something for, your, for one another, children, do it. If you're going to promise something at work, do it, will you? Because that is an incredible witness to those, to people who perhaps don't always keep their promises. Out of all the people, we should be people who keep their promises because we worship a God who always keeps his promises. Be like me in all things. 
And we, we, undis- we discover in 2 Peter 14, where, I love this verse, he said, through these he has given us, as God, as very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. It's a participation in God through these promises. It's a living relationship. Having escaped the corruption in the world because caused by evil desires. And if we had more time, I'd ask you to shout out some of the promises you've discovered. But it'd be worthwhile you thinking about, okay, what has God promised me? What, what are the promises I believe that I'm living by? The promise that I, uh, one of the promises I live by is I will never leave or, or forsake you. He's promised that to me through the scriptures. I've owned that for myself. So no matter what you may be facing individually, you can know this. As a child of God, he will never leave you or forsake you. It's impossible for God to lie. We need to know that, friends, to live in this world world. And that leads to the second word that, uh, 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 that just came through our mind, and, and that's perplexity. Because it's sometimes very difficult to trust in the promises when we are perplexed. Has anybody ever been perplexed? I watch open all hours. Has anybody ever been perplexed as a Christian? Absolutely. I'm living with some perplexities now. So you lot seem so sorted because I only saw about half a dozen hands go up. But in the scriptures, we, I won't turn to, I've got it all printed out here, but you see, we like, we like clarity. We like certainty. It just makes life easier, doesn't it? When we read the Bible stories, we see a very different picture of life in the spirit emerge. In, do you remember about John the Baptist? He was so convinced that God had called him. Jesus said of this man, what a great man he was. He saw amazing things happening. But midway through Jesus' ministry, this happens in Luke 7. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. That's what Jesus had been doing. And John, calling two of of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying... Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, here's a guy who's done ministry in the desert. He's done a huge amount of ministry, but a question marks begin to arise. And when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, Jesus, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, in, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. We've got to keep believing for the supernatural. Thank you, Viv, for today. And he, he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended in me. Then fast forward, after the, after the death of Jesus, some of his disciples got disillusioned. And there's one particular account in Luke 24 where they're walking, um, verse 13, if you want to um, mark it down, I've got it here. And as these disciples talked and discussed these things with each other about Jesus having died, Jesus himself came up, the resurrected Jesus, and was walking along with them. Imagine this for a moment. But they kept, were kept from recognising. Who kept them from recognising? Good question, I don't know. 
Most probably this is God. Because Jesus was able to manifest himself at certain times. So he asked them, well, what are you two discovering, uh, discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Oh, it's such a tease, is Jesus, isn't he? <laughs> it's such a tease. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, and before God and all the people, the chief priests and the rulers had handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And verse 21, but we had hoped, past tense, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So they were perplexed. And what is more, it's the third day since all this has taken place. He was walking along by them in their perplexity. They didn't even realise Jesus was by their side. Then we read in 2 Corinthians 4.8, the Apostle Paul's writing. We are, this is the Apostle Paul and his team. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. What's going on here? You see, Paul had learned a very important lesson that he had learned to be spiritually ambidextrous. Some people can write with their both right and their left hand, can't they? Yeah, it's amazing. But I, I'm absolute rubbish. If I, if I might hurt my right hand, you know, I can't even, I can't even write. And we have to learn to be spiritually ambidextrous, to, to hold in balance these truths. That God is all-powerful and sovereign and God can break into any situation at any given moment. But there might be delay or there might be some other reason. And we've got to still keep trusting God in perplexity. True or false? It is true. Because we don't see... We know Jesus has had everything submitted to his feet by the Father in heaven. All things will be put under his feet. But we don't see everything yet submitted to him physically in this world. But we do see Jesus. We know that one day everything will be realigned to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we have to learn in the meantime as this kingdom is coming not to get depressed by perplexity or disillusion. But even in this story in Luke, Jesus is able to walk by us and sometimes he keeps himself from recognising us, us recognising him. Because he's wanting us to grow. So if you're perplexed, it's, it, there is a dangerous point, there is a dangerous part in perplexity. It's how you handle it is critical. To hold the promises of God and the perplexities of life and ministry in equal measures if we want to both be mature and effective as a church. We will have in this church in the future perplexities. I guarantee you now. That's a part of it. It's okay to be perplexed, but it's not okay to be dominated by question marks. 
We've got to learn how to handle the questions. King David wrote in Psalms 4, verse 11, Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my saviour and my God. I love the honesty of the scriptures, don't you? Why are you depressed? Why am I fed up? Put your hope in God. That's That's a healthy, emotionally healthy man dealing with perplexities. Sometimes you don't even know why you're fed up. I met somebody last week and they said, I just want, I want to be happy. I want to be happy in my life. I want everything to be happy. I thought, get a life. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it, if you're happy all the time? I can't be happy all the time, but I can be joyful in the Lord all the time. Happiness is rooted in the momentary pleasure and the momentary thing. Joy is eternal. I love this Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may, may endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning. It's beautiful. And often, perplexity will lead to pain. That's the third word. Pain. If you like pain, go and see a GP, will you? There's something not quite right if you actually like it. But we all know, those of us who have been around the block a few times in life, we all know that pain is actually a part of life, isn't it? Thank you. Elizabeth Elliot, um, in the latter years of her life, um, she, I'm going to quote to you something she said in a moment, but those of you who will know Elizabeth Elliot, um, in the 1950s, her missionary husband um, went to, um, in the Amazon to reach a, 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 a tribe that never heard about Jesus. I think it's called the Alcas, wasn't it? And as they, they put gifts down, they landed, they met these, they met these suspicious, and understandably suspicious um, Amazonian Indians um, by the river. And... Uh, the missionary organisation lost all contact with them. And they came back later and, and found the body of, of Elizabeth's husband speared to death. He was only a, a young guy. And she'd got a 10-month-old baby. After, just 10 months after, um, he, 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 was, he was speared to death. Imagine that, serving Lord. Why? Why would you allow God... Why, why wouldn't you keep my... Husband, we've got a 10-month-old baby. I don't know, do you know? Do you know why? I know as a consequence later on, those Alcas came, the one who killed him became a, a, a leader in the church there. You can look back with hindsight and say, ah. But at the time, you can't see it, can you? And it may be you're going through some things, you can't understand what's happening and why it's happening. Where are you, God, in this situation? Why am I so low on my soul? Why did that happen? Why do we have that loss? Why that criticism? Why that betrayal? Why? Don't know. Honestly, don't know. Why did that person walk away from this relationship? Why? Only God knows. 
But she said this, Elizabeth Elliot, I am not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. She positioned herself to stay in the presence of God and to keep trusting in the promises of God. And as a consequence of how she responded, she became a global help to Christians over the last, over the next 40 years. I think she died recently. Had she not responded well, others wouldn't have been benefited from learning from the experience that she went through. It was the presence of God that kept her. Oh, when, you, when you're going through problems, do run to the presence of God. <laughs> Even if you can't say much more except, oh Lord, I need you. <laughs> That's all right. Just keep yourself in the presence of God. Carve out time just to privately. If it's saying, God, why? But at least you're asking him the questions and not letting the devil give you the answers, which would be lies and wrong. And through the, you see, how you handle pain will cause you to grow or to wither. And so pain will come. I prophesy it to your life. <laughs> Jesus said so. In this world, you'll have troubles, but cheer up, I've overcome it. <laughs> Jeans with the Lord. She died peacefully last week. Early Thursday morning, wasn't it? She's fought a good fight. She stayed the course. She's now full in the presence of God. And like Elizabeth Elliot, Jean learned to draw from the presence of God in her pain and discomfort and question marks. Enduring pain develops us if we, if we endure it. The Apostle Paul wrote to um, the young church leader Timothy in Ephesus. He said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You may be in a situation at the moment where you're having to do some enduring. It may be God is allowing situations to toughen you up for the next thing God's got for you. Caesar, I don't think he was a Christian, but he said this, it's easier to find men who will volunteer to die than to find those who are willing to endure pain with patience. If you think you're being part of a spirit-filled church that is all happy-clappy, then you're very misguided. We're not happy-clappy. It's deeper than that. It's much, much deeper. We will praise God in all situations. We will worship him. Because we know that God is faithful. God is faithful. And there will be a better day. There's a lovely Matt Redmond song, Blessed Be Your Name. When the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Hallelujah, Lord, I really like this song. (laughs) Blessed be your name. 
Then he goes on, Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. There, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You see, marriages go through good times and tough times. But it's not always sunshine in a marriage. It's not always sunshine. Because that's life. There are some phases of marriage life where you go through pain. The ones that survive and thrive and want to say, blessed be your name. I understand this is not just about personal happiness. It's about me honouring my commitments that I made before God when I got married. Jesus said to the church in the resurrected Jesus and ascended Jesus said to the church in Ephesus um, to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 verse 3 he said he was giving them an annual report a review a labeuf <laughs> he said you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary that's a great condemnation that'd be a great t-shirt slogan wouldn't it yeah you have persevered gateway you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and I've not grown weary. And when a church learns to contend together and press through together, it emerges, emerges as a church with a destiny in God's purposes. And fourthly, in the pain, you'll often find that God will release the provision. Because he's a good God. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament where Elijah, this amazing prophet of God, he, he, he could do the business. And he had a confrontation with the false prophets of Baal, who was, whose God was really most powerful. And uh, it's a great story. I've not got time to go into it much. But they, they had a contest, who, which God would answer by fire. And the prophets of Baal, they got uh, big um, um, stacks of wood together. And uh, they were dancing all around, slashing themselves, calling on the God of Baal to set fire to this, um, the, 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 this um, stack of wood. And nothing happened. And uh, Elijah says, well... Where's your God then? Perhaps he's gone to the toilet. That's what he says. He says, perhaps he's on the toilet. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, basically he said, now step aside. So he said, why don't you put some water on it before I ask God to answer with fire? So they, okay, this is a good deal. So they put water on the, on, on the, on the wooden sticks. And he said, okay, God, come. And the fire of God fell. Boom. And all the prophets, um, he's God. Your God is a God, a true God. Now, I'd be pretty flushed by that, wouldn't you? You read a few, next chapter in uh, 1 Kings 19, the next thing you find him, he's running into the desert because he's depressed. What's going on here? Because um, Queen Jezebel, that's where you get, you know, Tom Jones, Jezebel and all that, well, that it comes from, you know, Jezebel of the Old Testament, right? She was a piece of cake, you know, she was a piece of work, rather, you know, she doled herself up, she was a man-eater, um, very controlling, she, and often Jezebelic stuff will go for the prophetic, and she didn't like Elijah because um, she, he, he had killed some of her, her prophets, false prophets, and so she goes to him. Elijah, from his great Mount Carmel experience, is now on the run and depressed, and he goes into the desert. What's going on here? It's spiritual. It's spiritual. This was, a this was a depression that was based in a spiritual attack because Satan was trying to take Elijah out of the 
of the battle. Now, what do you think God... Well, let me just explain a little more to you. He said, well, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Um, what's the point? I've done all this. And do you know what God says? What God does? He causes him to have a good sleep. He says, the remedy for you, Elijah, have a really good night's sleep. I'll provide some good food for you. And so, as a really good sleep, that's a great, great prescription, isn't it? Good sleep. And he has a really top-class quality food because angels prepare it. And Elijah gets up, and obviously God still sees him in a mess. And he says, well, have, have some more sleep. And have some more food. And God's caring for him practically. It's lovely. Sometimes you think the spiritual answer to, the, to spiritual problems, has to be, sorry, it has to be a spiritual answer to spiritual problems. Sometimes it's just common sense. Get some good sleep, get some good food, get some good exercise, get some, a walk in the fresh air, get your perspective back on life. And that's what Elijah did. Then God said, right now, I want you to go back and start delegating. Um, and I'm going to raise up another, uh, another tranche of leaders who are spirit-filled. God's a good God. He knows, we're, he knows how we're made. He knows we're, we come from the dust. He knows we're vulnerable. Provision. God knew exactly what he needed. And God provided it for him at that time. You may be depressed because you don't feel there's provision. God will provide because he has committed to you. He even names, one of his, the names for God is God the provider. And sometimes God allows things to happen to test our faith, to develop us for the next, next step up in his purposes. Do you remember the story about Abraham where he had his only son, the son of promise, um, Isaac, and God said, I want, you, I want you to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your only son. It seems very pagan, really, but it was, God was testing him. And he took him up to the, the mountain in his obedience. He, the, very, the very thing that was the basis for the future promise, he was willing to put a knife to it. And at that very moment, God's voice came from heaven saying, no, I know now you will trust me in anything and he looked to the left, and there was a, I think it was a ram caught in a thicket. And he, um, Abraham said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Yes. I love that, that imagery there, because the mountain of the Lord speaks of the presence of God. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You get your resources, you get your provision by being in the presence of God. That's where the battles won, church. And he, he looked back at that place and he called it, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. That's the place, I'm going to name that place, the Lord will provide. Because the Lord provided. What's the place, that, what's the mountain you're on where you're in this crisis? You can be safely assured as you respond to God, God will provide in your moment of need. Whether it's jobs, whatever. God is a faithful God. On the mountain, he cannot deny himself. He said, I, will prov- I am your provider. A 
And that's why the Lord, when we're talking about finances, the Lord invites us into a relationship of faith and trust with him. It is a journey. Because you, God is no man's debtor. That's another promise. God, is, God will never leave you in debt. If you, if you honour God, God will honour you. It's an adventure. We were talking about it with the Vision and Values team yesterday. We had a, they're a great bunch. I mean, the, it's a, I don't want to sort of put everybody else down, but they're the funniest group of people we've met. It was a great time. Um, it was, God's bringing some great, more greater people, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Margaret had only just left the vision and values and within an hour later I got the letter coming back by email <laughs> I want to join the church <laughs> absolutely wonderful but you see finances are important not just because it helps the mission of the church continue and grow but so that we develop a greater trust in Father to provide because Father loves faith. Um, I've got, you know, we, we, we were on a journey of um, learning to give. We give a tenth um, into God's purposes. At one point, I just used to be me. I would give the tenth, and uh, because I'm the head of the house, and uh, Sue was working as well. But I thought, no, I'll just come the head of the house. Just give the, I'll just give my, my portion. But then we got a revelation that we're equal <laughs> before God, and you know, so so man and wife, yeah, we both give. We both give. Because we both have got to live that life of faith together. Uh, I've got a picture, two pictures here. I've got a picture of a hermit sheep. Okay, this is a picture of a hermit sheep. <laughs> Isn't he a cutie? There's one thing about that, he can't see where he's going. Because he's, he's, what they, um, this one, um, he ran away. Um, they, the problem with some hermit sheep is they don't like to be a part of the flock and be sheared. And uh, there's one famous hermit sheep called, they, he was called Shrek. I've got a picture of him now, can you? <laughs> and he's a renegade sheep and he avoided shearing for six years by hiding in a cave. I bet he thought, smart move. <laughs> got it, beat the, beat, the, beat the flock on that one. The trouble is, when they found him, he was infested because it, it was, it, all the wool had got matted and it, it, it was, he wasn't well. He actually died not long after that. And it's, it's an amazing picture of us when, we, when we've not come through on the discovery of um, the journey of giving finances to God, trusting him with our finances, because sheep, and God gave the illustration to us in the scripture, that we are like sheep, right? So it's not me saying you're like sheep, it's God. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, because he's good at it. And what shepherds do, they shear the sheep, true or false? Okay, it's because he, the shepherd wants a wool to fund what the shepherd wants to do, the good shepherd wants to do. But Shrek thought, I don't know, hold on a minute, I don't like this shearing malarkey, I'm going to run. So he goes and runs in a cave for six years. Now, <laughs> don't be like that. Get involved in the adventure of giving, because it will be good for you. 
It will be good for you. And it's, a, it's not a requirement. It's a blessing. You know, we, as I read earlier, are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who didn't just give a bit, they gave of their lives. And it'd be a bit embarrassing if you've really not come through on honouring God with your finances and you get to heaven and you sit next to Perpetua. Perpetua. Or Donata, the woman Donata under um, Marcus Aurelius. Have you ever heard of him? I've seen it. I've seen a picture, I've seen a film of him on Gladiator. I actually saw him. Marcus Aurelius. Donata was one of the 12 Christians from an African town of Sicilia, no, Scilita, who were martyred at Carthage. When called upon to sacrifice to Caesar, she replied, we render to Caesar as Caesar, but we worship God and, pray, and we pray to God alone. As she went into the arena, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. You know, sitting next to that woman in heaven would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, but they're our brothers and sisters. And finally, that, well, nearly finally, um, provision leads to purpose. Jesus said to the disciples, when they loved being with Jesus, he said, look, I tell you, well, the context was, um, John chapter 4, when this woman at the well, um, she came to this, this woman who came from this village, and um, Jesus was there, tired, and um, he asked her for a drink, and uh, she said, well, actually, um, Jews don't ask Samaritans for a drink. He said, well, um, and he goes into a, a theological discourse on worship with her. Where are the disciples? They've gone off into town, because they were hungry, they've gone off to get, get some Big Macs. <laughs> they were on a mission from God to get food. They come back, and they see Jesus talking, witnessing to this woman, by which time now she's realising he's Messiah, and all the village is coming out to hear Jesus because she went back and said, hey, this man's told me everything I've ever done. And so the whole town is coming out to hear the gospel. They're hungry and the, the disciples are coming back with a Big Mac, or equivalent of, and they're so pleased themselves. And Jesus is saying, guys, the harvest is ripe. The fields are ripe for the harvest. Don't you think they got it wrong somewhere? There's a, in the waters from a deep well, I've been profoundly moved by it because it talks about the monastic movement of the, from the 5th century onwards. And I've always been a bit down on um, monasteries and, you know, negative because I, I, I just under, I thought it was all about what happened in the 11th and 12th, 13th century where they lost it somewhat. But the early monastic movement, when times were dark, they, they were, these, these monks would... would would seek to separate themselves to seek God and to, to um, ensure sound doctrine and to pray and to worship, but also to serve the poor in their city. It was like mission stations. And I thank God, in hindsight now, I thank God for what happened with these people who are dedicated to Jesus. They were dedicated to Jesus Christ. Then it began to go a bit wonky 
around about 10th, 11th, 12th century. There's, there's a, an amazing place to visit called Cluny, which is just south of Dijon in France. And there was a, a monastic movement, a renewal movement, called um, the Cluny Renewal Movement. And what these monks did, they said, what we're going to do, we are going to ex- give all our time just to worshipping God. We're going to be in his presence all the time, praying and worshipping, and that's what we'll do. And it all went wrong. That's interesting. Because you think that would be great, because we talk about the presence of God. Yeah, we want the presence of God. One thing they didn't factor in that previous generations had done is that they, they didn't factor in that God's got a heart for the poor. And they stopped reaching out to the city around them. And Isaiah was in the, the what was it, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. He was caught up in heaven and the, tr- the glory of God, his train filled the temple. And he, he oh God, woe is me, I'm undone. And he heard a voice in the presence saying, who will go for us? You see, we've always said this, that presence, focusing on the presence, will, will culminate in going out into mission. Because we're in the presence of a God who so loved the world and gave himself for the world. And God will open doors for us into mission like we've never known before. If we dare walk through it. If we dare walk through it. Because he wants to draw us into his presence so we hear his heartbeat. Who will go for us? Oh, but we like it too. It's lovely. I love worshipping God. I'll talk to you about the Wyvern Centre at the end of this message. Buildings are always a means to an end, not an end in themselves. We are aware that there's a thing happening within the church uh, with God in community groups. We're, we're quite at ease about it because we've got some great groups going. I mean, absolutely great groups. But there's a number of other groups that it just seems the grace is coming off. And we're not worried about that. Because we've, we've prayed about it, we have sensed that God is going to raise up different types of groups as individuals get a vision for fresh things. And uh, even yesterday, the first, it happened for the first time, one person said, I'd like to gather a group of people who've been widowed because that's a unique experience. And we could get non-Christians who've been widowed in and that could be a, a community group for widows. That's outside-the-box thinking. There's many, many other things that God can raise up. I'm excited by this because God's doing some reframing. He really is doing reframing. And that's the final thing I want to conclude with. Last year, um, Ben Goodman spoke to us about you're going to go through a period of um, realignment and reframing. And we've had that a realignment. And we had a great time with Andy and the the guys up in London this week, well, it's absolutely thrilling, um, really energising, different. But we just felt, wow, we're learning so much. Um, reframing. What will Gateway look like next year? Well, it will still look like Gateway. <laughs> you get a, have you ever seen a, gone to somebody's house and you, you say, oh, I've seen that picture before, but they put it in a totally inappropriate frame. <laughs> 
And you're thinking, why you put that frame around that picture? It's almost like there's two different pictures. But it's the same picture, but they've been totally differently framed. And what we sense, Richard and I sense God is doing, is there's a reframing taking place. And it is exciting. It is exciting. It was the same picture as our values, but he's going to put it in a new frame and it's going to be absolutely right for this next season. So we want you to know that we're encouraged. Um, It's great to see people being baptised. Somebody else has just come up to me this morning and said, another baptism please, as early as possible. (laughs) And so, um, please, be confident that God is is able to do far more than we can think or imagine because of the power it works within us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.